Hello, welcome to season two of Wampum Codes, a podcast where I feature cool indigenous people using technology in creative and cool ways to make a positive change in their communities. This season, we have some new formats. We'll be doing live streams, on location episodes, updates on intergalactic projects, and much, much more. I'm your host, Amelia Winger Bearskin from the Seneca Cayuga Nation of Oklahoma, Deer Clan. Yahweh for joining. Today we have one of those live streaming sets, so I'll let all of my awesome guests introduce themselves. Hello everyone, welcome to Climate Lounge, a vibe shift for your day. Today we are here with some of the Talk To Me About Water members as usual, as well as our special guest, Lafayette Cruz. So I would love if everyone could quickly introduce yourselves. I'm Amelia Winger-Bearskin, your host, and I'll pass it over to Lafayette. Hello, I'm Lafayette Cruz. I'm an urban planner and a futurist. I uh, polychrome futurist, uh, lecturer, facilitator, world builder, all of the above. Currently consulting and teaching at the Rhode Island School of Design in their architecture department. And I'll pass it to Eamon. Awesome. Hello, I'm Eamon. I'm a writer and I teach at UF and I'm so upset about my camera right now. And that's what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll ca- have you kind of strobe in and out, you know, it'd be like, amen, not amen, amen, not amen. <laughs> there you go, amen. <laughs> not amen. <laughs> All right, I guess, Noor, you're up next. Yeah, um, this is Noor. I am also a member of Talking About Water, and I'm the co-founder of one of many studio. Um I also have happened to spend some time in the futures and speculative design space over the last few years. So I um, multi-hyphenated human, like all of you in this this room today. And um, it's cool to be uh, be with you again. It feels like a reunion. Absolutely. Have you and Lafayette ever met in a futurist space? Yes, Yes? of course. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, we met uh, in the same uh, time that I met you, Amelia, at the Four Freedoms Congress, and I I actually attended the um, Guild of Future Architects uh, workshop um, that Lafayette was leading. And then since um, Lafayette was a big uh, supporter, like you, Amelia, of the Resilience 2032 project and did some role play and world building with us in the year 2032. That's awesome. That's really cool. What was your workshop about, Lafayette? So it was uh, Futures Friday's Room, the program that um, Tony Patrick, Rob Sinclair, and uh, your previous guest, Maribel Fatunde, and I uh, co-created for world building. And so we had done a, um, we had modeled sort of a speculative, uh, an alternative past and speculative future for Wisconsin in the lead up to um, the 2020 election. And then, yeah, we invited guests to come and create their own alternative paths and speculative futures and really engage in radical imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess we should probably mention the Guild of Future Architects. That is where we met. Um, so. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for giving us those of us who weren't at that session. I've been at other Futurist Writer Room sessions, but I wasn't at that one. I think I was doing a different thing at the same time. We were all doing so many things at that Congress, right? Yeah. You know, we're like jumping around. Um, and, and we just got joined by um, another member of Talk To Me About Water. This is Martha Bearskin. You want to introduce yourself real quick? 
Hi, everyone. I'm Martha Bearskin. Um, I'm a computer scientist. I'm a data storyteller. Um, I work primarily in data publication for the federal government, specifically in water data. So, and I'm happy to be here with everybody. So good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Well, it's morning for me over here in the, in the Midwest. Okay, Midwest. Got <laughs> <laughs> two Midwesterners up here, so that's there we go. Yeah, got some cold. Got some warm in Florida. Got some cold. Actually, you know, I don't think Nora's very cold right now, but yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm <laughs> I'm enjoying the sun of uh, California. I'm in LA. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Nicest weather on the call right now. So. How long are you going to be in LA? Until the twentieth. Oh, wow. Yeah. Posted up in LA. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, it. this is the moment at, for a New Yorker or New York-based person to be in LA. So yeah, good. good. Yeah. Good. Anywhere else. <laughs> Later this week, right? Yeah. Yes, I'm really excited. I'm excited to see you. Every time we go to any city, we have to party with Nora. So yeah, it's a requirement. It's a requirement. Plans are like if you want to go to New Orleans at some point, just yeah. let me know. Yeah, she just drops a pin, and we're like, we all just like mob up. It's like we a flash mob up of Nora friends. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I'm just following you around around the country. That's what's happening. <laughs> we're both following each other, so we're just like doing a loop around the globe, sort of like chasing each other. <laughs> that's what, what globe trotting should be right like it should just be friend friend following um yeah well martha we were all just talking about how we all met at this conference in la so now Nora's is really in the nexus of where we all first, yeah. first time we had a taco adventure with lafayette and me and amon and tony patrick and robert and <laughs> can you go to la and not have a taco adventure no, you can't go to LA and not have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Impossible. I, I dropped Amelia off at the party in the hills at that place Sharon was renting. And then I was like, no chance in hell I'm going to this party. Found some tacos, picked y'all up and said, guys, I found the best tacos. And we went back to the same taco truck. Oh, nice. It was great. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, no party beats good tacos. No. It's that's right. Unless the party is a taco party, like, wow. or, or, you know, then, then that's like the, the perfect moment right there. But yeah, that's, that's amazing. I, I, I went to, I think I'm trying to remember which I've been to a bunch of your futurist writers room moments. Lafayette. I think I went to one in person in New York at NYU, which was a bunch of IT peers, which was really fun. Um, what were, what were, so, I, I like the idea of how they work where you pick a point in the past and you imagine that the past happened differently in some way, the inflection point, right? And then you have to imagine what, like, implications that has on the present but then also on the future what were what are i don't know if, if there are any interesting ones you want to share with us today that you just were like how did that one go in that direction right yeah oh i'm like which like i mean i'm always i just remember a piece that Maribo did in response where it was like so post-pandemic when we when there's sort of a lot of efforts to try and decrease the prison population, so people were being let out on leave. And so I was imagining if that was allowed to stay permanent. Um, in, a, in his speculative future, we developed technology to like communicate, not even communicate, like integrate ourselves with trees. And so this like monastic 
tree human community um and sort of just like yeah it was like what yeah i don't even know how to other than like what happens if we were like on the path to abolition but then also on the path to like really being in relationship with nature instead of trying to be like have the separation between like man and nature or like modernity and nature um i'm trying to think what else <laughs> it's one of those like oh i love them all and i can tell I you mean, all. Sure. it's That's like me. all your children right <laughs> um i really like i enjoy the stories that come from them it is also hard because i feel like i end up learning lessons from folks because i remember one we did about um reef it's like the future of food and it's where I learned about, um, is it Frank Butts? Some, some, someone Butts, who was Nixon's secretary of agriculture, who said, get big or get out, and sort of just like destroyed small farming. The ecosystem that we have now. That man. Amelia, the plumbers are here. <laughs> oh, that's what Cowboy was like. Hey. Yeah, Cowboy's like, hurry, Eamon, I'll pull you off the stream if you want to let them in. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was just like imagining like what is a national food policy that is more local and like ecologically conscious and like how that would change sort of the world we live in today. Because we are. A lot of the discussions like oh food deserts it's like well that naturalizes hunger when it's like especially in the united states hunger is manufactured um when we understand how much of the plant life and animal life like there's so much edible there's so much of this land that is edible that we could that like indigenous folks formerly enslaved folks like had a knowledge of cultivating but we've decided no we want to manufacture under so again it was going back to like cool we encourage more small farming we have a lot more ecologically based and regionally based um, food systems and like food pallets. How is a well-fed, we, and I can't remember what story we came up with, but it's like, what is a well-fed future? That's awesome. I uh, really like that. I, I, I remember I was in one of them where, where we talked about trees. I don't, I don't think it was the future of food one, but it was another one. And I thought about all of the data that we have, you know, Martha, a data scientist about water, but I was thinking about the data we have on plant life and trees. Mm -hmm. And I thought, um, you know, as people start thinking of aggregate data being part of um, policy, right? like, oh, what if all this, uh, what if all of it became so data driven, like all this policymaking could be based on hard science, scientific facts. And I was like, well, would we have then voting blocks that would be um, from the water systems and the plant life and the trees so that we have data and information from them? And could that data and information be a voting block, a lobby? Would you be able to say, okay, there's aggregate amounts of votes in our democracy for this data? This data is real and true scientific information. Could that vote for its own self and its own, you know, preservation because it's it's an important part of our culture? And I shared this idea at a symposium in Berlin, and people like, whoa, they got so angry at me. They said that I was anthropomorphizing trees and imagining that I could talk to them and all this kind of nonsense. And I was just like, do you, do you know what data is? 
you want to come in here and whip it off? No, I, I can't. Okay. Come on, Doug. Done. <laughs> wait, I, I was like, wait, did you put this, did you suggest this in a Futurist Writers Room or have we talked about this? I remember your... Me, I mean, it was in a Futurist Writers Room, but I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, we have to promorphize, or also like, that's anthropomorphizing is an abstraction, defining humanity is an abstraction, data is an abstraction. We can... <laughs> Like, we have, everything is abstracted. You can deal with this. Right. Yeah, no, but it was, um, someone said to me on the panel that, like, if Amelia can stop playing house with her little doll trees, then maybe we can think of, like, hard science. I was like, what? What, what do they think, like, data is? Like, we understand how these systems work. We could protect those systems by being, like, what is the data telling us? Like, are those trees thriving? Are they actually thriving? Right. Like should they be able to vote or go for it more oh i was gonna say and why do we separate ourselves from that by saying like oh these trees are you know like turning these trees into their own thing well they are but they're part of our ecosystem they're part of our survival, survival. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah like why is the that data separate why do we think it's separate from our data yeah. about mm -hmm. ourselves yeah we interact with we're in relation to i mean really we need them to breathe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like the, the reciprocity of it all. And the, the moment we uh, choose to like dismiss that or disqualify it, it's like we're disqualifying and dismissing the connectedness of, of, of it all. And <clears throat> I feel like it's by design that everything has to be compartmentalized yes. or in a binary, you know? It keeps us away from each other, I think. You know, when you were talking about the tree system um, and, like, being, like, or these tree people we've turned into, I think that's what you're kind of talking about, tree people, and mm -hmm. connecting more with nature. But I was thinking, oh, well, that means, like, connecting more with each other because of how roots, you know, like, trees and roots, like, we know how they share so much and they're so connected to mm -hmm. each other. And so are we as people, but we dismiss it so much and we do so much to, like keep each other away from each other because we know how strong we'd be if we all like mm. grew our roots together and shared all of our data and information <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's also interesting it's like if i feel like i spent a lot of the pandemic sort of like sitting in my yard in wisconsin and just like meditating on trees and like prairie grass um mm -hmm. thinking about like oh yeah they are very connected but also very slow and like yeah. things that get that big have to move very slowly and very intentionally yeah. and like if we like yeah we would have to sort of as a society as a global society either move very slowly together or like get a little bit smaller and still slower but you'd have to slow down and really connect um and like i don't know if people <laughs> As we see with our response to this global pandemic, I don't think people want to slow down, but it would make things so much better. <laughs> I disagree with that. I think people do want to slow down. Um, I, I think people do. We just don't know how. We don't know how to change it to be able to slow down, but I think everyone does. Is anyone else's Instagram feed filled with people talking about like naps and all this year being like all about naps? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah i as a notorious napper i was like finally people are understanding how i've been trying to live <laughs> exactly 
<laughs> the trees are telling us take a nap guys yeah <laughs> for a couple of centuries take a nap guys <laughs> we'll fix everything I, I love trees guys i want to be a tree i hope that that is my next life is a tree uh, i'm nerding I... out on trees here <laughs> yeah. I... My family has this tradition of watching. Well, we always do a marathon around like Christmas and New Year's, and it's usually The Godfather or Lord of the Rings. Amazing. Um, nice. And like, I've always loved the Ents. It's like, I just want to be slow and old and tend to trees in an old forest. Let me just mm-hmm. talk slowly, be slow, smell fresh air, sleep for however long, be an Ent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I mean, we, we we know those of us who have been studying like how social media works or how media is working, that it's actually like the quickest and most fast cycle, like getting people to click to something, maybe not necessarily even read it, but just like click, react, share, click, react, share is um, how a lot of these algorithms are pushing our interaction online. So I think we have a skewed vision of what we think people want to do. We think people want to like click, react, share, you know, like have the quickest. And usually it prioritizes a negative response, like a doom scrolling or a, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Quick share and like tell all my friends. And, you know, when's the last time everyone's written you and been like, help, help, you have to pay attention to this like video of a tree. Mm-hmm. you know it's like usually it's something like really disastrous or whatever so <clears throat> it's, it would be also interesting if our digital selves could reflect that a little bit more right like that slowness but um it seems to be anti the way that the infrastructure of it has been developed anyways when it comes to ad, ad-based mm-hmm. interviewing uh interwebbing i mean <laughs> yeah. how fast can it get until we were just like over it and bo- so bored of it that it's i don't know yeah will we, will we, will slow we just down have again because we'll just be like okay we're so bored of it being so quick and like we have no attention span left <laughs> <laughs> because uh, well, I, I was joking with my brother, younger brother and sister because they both like periodically like delete tiktok and instagram and like yeah that's healthy i need to do that i used to be better at that but also if you stay off too long you're not going to be able to keep up with everything it's like what ha- when like what happens when you get left behind um oh, yeah. what i keep wondering it's like oh i'm getting i'm not part of the I'm like the edgy, not even the edgy youth culture. I'm not the youth anymore. I'm not going to keep up forever. Uh, what happens when I can't and when I have to like hop off? Um, yeah. Interesting. I know if I had an AI avatar of myself in the online space, it would mostly just, I think I would love it to give me a a summary, you know, like, okay, you've been gone for two months. Most of it kind of trash. One interesting thing, your friend got married. Oh, okay, cool. What do we think about who they married? Oh, interesting. All right, great. (laughs) Just give me the gossip of only like the things I want. Here's the top five things that went viral while we were. Oh, so you know. Here's the new slang that they're throwing around. Right. Here's how it's yeah. Here's, the, yeah. Here's the update to the app. We changed everything and you can't find anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Um like you know, we all can... Oh god. <laughs> no, 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 please. I was gonna say just that you can kind of do that today with managing your notifications. Like I kind of do that where I've muted all my notifications, but then I get a summary. Ooh, um, nice. Oh, so it doesn't bother me as much and I kind of get to control when I want to 
you know, get my top five. I mean, I have to go through, it's more like top 50 (laughs) (laughs) by 5 p.m. But I feel like it's still, like, I really appreciate that feature. I feel more in control of, of how the information gets to me. I'm... I mean, I know you all are t- talking to me about water. I'm very curious about what you as a water data scientist do. I'm assuming you probably talked about this on multiple streams, but like you focus on a specific body of water or just like... Um, so I work for the USGS, um, and so we do all the like mapping of the United States, and so we collect all of the GIS data. And so I mostly work with the water. Um, so yeah, it's so like the water of all of the country. All the different waterways and and things like that. And um, I just I work in publications, so I help publish everything on the web. Because um, believe it or not, we like still have things that were like in, you know, paper form, PDFs, things like that. <laughs> Having had to like map waterways in Chicago and Illinois, I've used mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's my big thing too, is I'm all about uh, free and open data. And so we have all that with our government, you know, so don't, don't ever pay for that data guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know um, what, this is a fun fact, but when I did the writer's room with you, Lafayette, you know, I was in the group that decided the infection point back in history was creating a water protection act. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I can't recall if we called it the Water Protection Act. I think it was the Water Protection Act. Yeah. And how it would have changed the trajectory of the way that we relate uh, to water. And so it's, it's funny that um, water has always been <laughs> such a big part of, um, yeah, all the imaginings of the future because it's had, it can't not be, you know. Um, I, I wish that I had uh, some of the notes from that session. Do you? I'm so curious. Probably. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that was like both yesterday and 20 years ago. So. I know. I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't been back to L.A. since. Cool. That was three years ago at this point. Which is that was I think the last trip all of us did before mm-hmm. quarantine. So it was like, it definitely felt like the before times. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, it was funny. That was a trip where I was like, oh, I don't have to be cold in the winter. Everyone from warm places told me that and was like, no, it's great. This builds character. I was like, I don't have to do this, actually. <laughs> um, most animals, most things in nature either kind of slow down yeah. in the winter or they go somewhere warm. What am I doing? Yeah. Or a cave, nice warm bear cave, right? Just like, yeah. Drop your leaves, shut down for a little bit, freeze over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bears or migrate. Yeah, migrate and bears. Bears are a big inspiration for me. I feel like mm. all of them. <laughs> like the fun tree fact that I learned was that like um, the protein or the oils and nuts how they change in like uh, when they drop so that they become like a 
I'm not explaining this well, but someone was talking about how uh, the oils and nuts change to be more complex so that hybrid animals, when they eat them, are actually able to sleep off of them. So um, just a way in like, yeah, just a weird way in which like trees also change their chemistry at a type of season. So, and it's not necessarily for animals to hibernate, but it is for like the propagation of the seeds. But it, yeah, it just ends up being better for hibernation because of the more complex oils. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was like, I, what do you mean with separate trees? We've learned to be with each other. Yeah, co-evolved, so to speak, right? Like yes. everything. No. <laughs> yeah, that's what's, I mean, that's so amazing. Oh, so many good tree facts. I don't, last night I went on a deep dive on seed keeping collectives all over the U.S. I'm like not even a quarter of the way through like all my research I found just in one night. It's so incredible. When I lived in Nashville, they had a seed library at the public library. So you'd bring your library card and you'd be able to give seeds or take seeds and then have them in your garden. And you had to like sign this thing saying that the seeds were like healthy and heirloom or, you know, whatever the certain way they described how to harvest the seeds like ethically and keep them and store them and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Because obviously seeds can become contaminated, right? Um, so, yeah, it was really... I. I I remembered that and I was like, I wonder if all libraries have that. And the short answer is a lot of them do, right? Like a ton of them do, which is really interesting. So I, I've been just like, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a deep hole I'm going in, but I'm really fascinated by how many people are, um, you know, are, are, have been doing this process of keeping seeds, giving seeds, sharing seeds. Obviously, that's an interesting um organizational style that you need people to actually take them and use them right like you can't just uh hold on to them i mean i know there are a lot of famous seed vaults all over the world that corporations have and com countries have but people in the sense are like yeah we need people to use these so that you know <laughs> they can like help the environment and help the local like bug population and you know all that right yeah i have a like friend and former co-worker back in chicago who's probably one of the closest things to an ent like a Midwestern ant that I know, he just like, <laughs> I think he's like a certified Chicago tree keeper. Oh like, uh, like I love his Instagram page because he always uh, posts stories about like, here are the like the natural wild wildflowers or like prairie grasses native to Illinois, and here's how we maintain it. Here's mm -hmm. what's going on to like maintain the prairies. But he just got engaged. Um, which, if he's watching, or just congratulations, Jared. Um, Congratulations, everyone. But uh, they, in preparation for his wedding, he and his fiance are like, I'm, I don't know where they're doing it, but I think they're like planting a bunch of like native wildflowers in their garden, like in their garden, in their parents' garden somewhere, because they're like, cool, we've been doing this work to like get the land ready so that we can keep cultivating those. And like, I want that. I keep trying to convince my parents, like, hey, we should, like, plant more wildflowers, but also, want to be pretty, we need more pollinators, but also, you know, I, I want to, I think there's some beauty in wildflowers and prairie flowers. They don't have to be all be tropical flowers to be, or, like, annuals to be worth our admiration. Yeah, absolutely. 
and we, me and Martha and Noor and Eamon were actually recently in Miami and we were walking under a tree that was in a mall. It was just a giant tree in the middle of like the square of a mall. And it was so overgrown outside of its little like prescribed area. It was like massive. And there were just hundreds of orchids falling down from it that were growing, you know, because they're kind of like they grow symbiotic tree yeah there's like drop these giant very alien looking pods but like hundreds of orchids and i i told my friend maria and she's like yeah i mean in taiwan that is our wildflower right like that that's just the wildflower and i was like yeah same with miami right it's just the the wildflower but it's interesting that the wildflower from one area is like super fancy important flower from the fashion of flowers right really i've been as I like look at all my like potted plants that are not from this climate, I've been trying to figure out how to like readjust the beauty I see in like the plants around me. Um, Cause yeah, similarly I like traveled to Mexico city. I was like, Oh, this is what my plants look like when they're like out in the wild with their family and like thriving. <laughs> I don't know if they want to be in a pot. <laughs> Right, in the cold. They don't like winter. <laughs> Take them on a trip to LA. <laughs> Come on, guys. We're going to go visit your family. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't keep any plants alive in Florida. I haven't figured it out yet. So I just put them all outside and outside, like you cannot stop the growth. Yeah. Like that you stick them outside and then three days you need like a machete to see anything. And they're like they become huge and insane. But like inside, I can't I can't keep a plant alive, but outside it's where they, they want to live. So just be like, yeah, I'm gonna keep all just have a garden thriving around me. It's <laughs> supposed to be. Yeah. I, I don't know why I'm like thinking about water. Now. Well, one, because of your mapping, but then also thinking about like how much I miss Lake Michigan. Because I've seen people like posting videos of Lake Michigan and it's like, oh yeah, I miss the Great Lakes. Like the coasts yeah. are, the coasts are great. The coasts are fine. I miss how easy it was to just like get to a large, how easy it was to get to the expanse of water and be like, oh, one, I know where this water, I like had to study the history of this water and I feel a connection to it. Uh, but also like, yeah, being in Chicago or like in Wisconsin, it's so easy to just get to water in a way that at least here in Rhode Island, it doesn't feel as easy. Yeah, you, have, you have the very cold beaches, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I love a cold beach. I, <laughs> I love the uncanny deep winter. When I was in undergrad, I would often on the late nights to like take a break from uh, work. I would go, especially at, like, when the moon was up to the, the lake in when the lake was freezing more regularly, you'd get this uncanny thing where there'd be snow on the ground and snow on the lake ice. And so you wouldn't really know where the land of the lake ended, and but like it would just be kind of undulating and it would just be very, and like the moon would also be there. It's just like, what is this alien world? It's very hypnotic. Like why is, a, why is a land moving like that? And it would just be not hypn a little hypnotic. I would just like sit there and like contemplate the cold, I mean, I was very bundled up, but yeah, just like contemplate the cold in existence as the lake undulated. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. I don't know how often the lake is freezing like that anymore and how much snow we're getting, but yeah. Yeah. 
Did you used to ice skate like on frozen like small parts or small ponds or things like that? I no, I I feel like I ice skate maybe once a year and it's always like at an ice rink. Um, like some friends wanted to go ice skating recently and I'm like I my ankles hurt I, or my ankles are gonna hurt. I don't want to do this, yeah. but I wish I had. I'm like from that weird that like small section of Wisconsin where like like I didn't grow up playing hockey. I didn't grow up ice skating. Or like we would go to like the ice center, but like I wasn't. Also, my parents aren't from Wisconsin, so like we didn't do the like out, the winters, the winter activities, the winter sports. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other than like walking through the snow and snowball fights and snow forts. That's yeah. amazing. Huh? Snow forts, snowball fights, it's the best stuff. Yeah. <laughs> ice skating. I I did, but like my son, he's always a trooper. He will try it, but. <laughs> cannot stand up like he's on the wall the whole time and he's like it's okay guys sorry right. just keep you know but just keep going but yeah. like me and martha used to just like ice skate but without like real you know no actual skates just on yeah. frozen ponds you know you just essentially just run and slide and just in our yeah, like you're like yeah those snow boots that looked like moon boots yeah oh yeah <laughs> we would just like slide around we weren't really like skating so much as like chaos you know, <laughs> we probably did better. I think we would have probably massively hurt ourselves, um, like we did in our roller skating rink that we had yes. in our basement, <clears throat> which was also very fun and very dangerous. Salt yeah. concrete, yeah, <laughs> just very wild children. So, yeah, yeah. our parents let us <laughs> be pretty wild, which that yeah. part was cool, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, Eamon skis. I don't. I can't ski. I mean, I've tried to ski and I almost murdered myself many times. But Eamon skis. I tear it up, man. <laughs> <laughs> you like a downhill skier or like a cross country skier? Oh, downhill. Okay. I'm too lazy for cross country, man. You know, the the way to be good at skiing is to just not have concern for your well being. So just point those suckers down, and uh, let's go. go. <laughs> yeah, you only fall if you turn. So. <laughs> don't turn don't turn don't turn yep yeah no I've, I've only done it a couple times last time I went skiing I only fell because I tried to play with my phone so what <laughs> why would you do that you want to film yourself I was listening to music and I, I wanted to change the song I was not even moving I was standing still okay. <laughs> I fell over <laughs> <laughs> yeah we could say that you did that to yourself yeah yeah well that would be pretty rude so i don't know why you'd say that <laughs> <laughs> but the snow caught you you got caught yeah. in a nice fluffy mm -hmm. freezing thing yeah that's good. that's good yeah me me and tristan were riding snowmobiles while he was doing that because we we're like we can't ski so yeah that is another thing that I haven't done, but always, like, we grew up around, like, snowmobile trails. I just, like, never, I never did that. Or didn't have friends who had snowmobiles. Um, so I just never, also, I think my parents were like, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah, they're incredibly dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but they look so fun. And as, like, skiing and snowmobiling, I would, like, I remember we had a ski trip in middle school that we could have signed up for, which like skiing in Wisconsin is like a really big hill. Um, and my mom was like, no. And so after that, 
I feel like that was that was the inflection point. If she had said yes, if <laughs> she had said if she said no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I feel uh, like same. We had ski trips, and my parents were like, "I did." That's the only time I've ever skied was a school. It was like elementary school um, ski trip, and like they had the little intro class for the kids who didn't know how to ski on these little tiny, you know. Oh, mounds, little bumps. Um, and I caused a pile up and then I we can snowshoe. We can we can, exactly. <laughs> I mean I did cross country sometimes because you know friends would have that. I would do that. There's so much snow in upstate New York. I would cross country. You can rarely hurt yourself cross country. You're moving at like a snail's pace. Like snails are like speeding past me, you know. <laughs> oh man. I also always forget just how much snow upstate New York gets. Oh my god. I mean, the bus would leave us because the snowdrift was taller than me and Martha. And we just watched the snow bus, like the bus just like, you know. <laughs> so much snow. A little, I have a very friend who just moved back to upstate New York from South Carolina. And she just told me that they just got through 39 days of no sunshine. And she was like, I, I might die. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Luckily, her dad brought her a sun lamp. He saw how she was withering away. <laughs> yeah. But I forgot about that part. Like, I remember the cold and, like, all that, but I forgot about the, like, no sunshine no. for a month. I don't think I could do that anymore. It's rough. That's why we are such weirdos, I think, you know. I don't know. <laughs> it's very rough. I, <laughs> I'd forgotten that the lack of sun affected me until I moved here to Rhode Island. That was my first time living in a new, I was in, so just moved to Providence. So I was new to the city, was living by myself. And I'm like, oh yeah, the sun really affects me. And if I don't go out and see people, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> I know. I know. The sun is just in each other, right? Like you, you find the sun within your many friends and, you know, like fires that people have in their home. But like, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's rough. Yeah. <laughs> I really think that if I happened to be in New York this week with these really low temperatures, I would not, like, I don't know what would have happened to me. I don't think I would have been able to leave the house for sure, but it's incredible, like, this, what, being in the sun. I mean, I, I think I have accepted that I was not designed for snow or for the winter. You know, it's just not in my DNA. <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing how alive I feel in warm weather. It's like, wow, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. I went to Stockholm for the first time. I was like, oh. Well, one, it made me realize I thought we, I thought we had darkness. And I got there, like, oh, you all know darkness. But also, <laughs> I think you have, as a culture and as a society, evolved to deal with winter better than we yeah. have. <laughs> like, I what should is- be around a fire all the time or outside, mm-hmm. even if it is cold and dark. This weird productivity in between is not what I should be doing. That coziness would be good. Winter. So, what each weekend is to be cozy and to lose track of time. Mm. I just want to like hibernate. Yeah. Every weekend is what I try to do. 
I've been trying to be better at I haven't fully achieved it, but having someone, having folks over at my house at least like once a week um, and then cooking for folks. Um, yeah, still trying to be, still need to like be better at like planning, getting that ahead of, getting that invitation out ahead of time. I'm like, oh yeah, I need you in my home. Let's get cozy. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Or invite me, or invite me over because I don't want to be here by myself. Yeah, yeah. It's too cold to be alone. Yeah, for sure. So, what are what are you teaching over there at RISD in the art in the architecture department? Yeah, so I teach a so I co-teach a city studio where we focus on um, housing um, and like affordable housing, um, and we focus on a different city every year. Um, and then I also teach a thesis cohort. Um, so last year. Or last semester, I did a thesis seminar helping them develop, helping my students develop their project. And this semester is a thesis studio where they're producing and thinking about representation and thinking about um, sort of one, why they're interested and what they're interested in, but like how do you use different representational mediums to communicate these questions that you're exploring? Um, yeah. And then I feel like I've also just been like bopping around to different uh, reviews and like sitting in as a critic, which has also been fun to be like, oh yeah, one, I'm not an architect by training. So even in architecture reviews, I'm like, I cannot, I cannot really critique your drawings other than how they communicate. I can't do the technical critiques. Um, but, like did a really fun class in the apparel department that they were doing in the museum, thinking about like, um, Museum apparel collections and deaccessioning Gilded Age apparel, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've never thought oh. about." It. Yeah, I was like, "I one don't think about apparel that intimately, but like, oh yeah, what's the relationship between clothing um, and architecture and urban planning?" Um, and like, hopefully, what I want to do a speculative regalia course because um, looking at the Gilded Age dresses and sort of the I was like oh not just like indigenous regalia but like all cultures have their regalia they're like what you wear to communicate something um, ceremonial um, and as much as Americans want to pretend that we don't as much as we try to like separate it was yeah it was weird looking at American Gilded Age dresses because American apparel culture is meant to be sort of counter to the formality of European culture, but also like counter to other sort of indigenous cultures clothing. But it's like, no, 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 you fit squarely within this and you just can't accept that. So what does it look like to one, reintroduce ceremony and to American culture, but also like what are the new sort of clothing and tradition in ways of using patterns, especially in when we sort of get rid of the hierarchy of literacy, how do we use clothes and apparel to communicate that? Um, That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's something that like I would not have thought about because I do not deal with clothing or think about clothing that intimately. And I was like, oh, I need to do more with the apparel department. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think about that a lot, especially because we 
you know, I've worked in um, highly professional business or government positions where they have like sometimes a book like this of dress code and I'll like go hard. I'll, de I'll read every page that people are like, you don't really like, no one really cares that much, Amelia. No one's going to like, you know, fire you for like, you know, section 24 of, you know, like clause B. And I'm like, no, no, but I'm very into this because this is, this is wild. This is a wild amount of information around my top and bottom and shoes that like were just the ones that were the least wrinkled. So I wore them today. You know what I mean? Like it's a lot. There's a lot there that communicates like what you're allowed to do while working for this company or whatever. It's like, it's fascinating to me. I'm like, if this stuff doesn't matter that much, why is there <laughs> this yeah. many pages? <laughs> about it you know like, right. right and if it's like you said if it's not formal and it's not regalia but then why is the, again this much that seems to me like it is actually regalia and very formalized yeah. and yeah. to the point i mean in the military obviously they have all those very specific things of hair and jewelry and all that and that makes sense because we understand that they're in uniform or or in different levels of uniform you dress uniform and active duty uniform and off duty uniform and and all that but then in companies they have that too but i think they kind of pretend they don't <laughs> they do they call it a dress code i'd prefer yeah. a uniform over a dress code any day because especially as a woman dress codes are so confusing and so ridiculous and like you can never win so i just want to be like just give me my like gray unitard suit and let me just go to work <laughs> Yeah, and my little three dots and my communicator. Exactly. Yeah, as long as we're not a red shirt. You don't want to be the red shirt, but no, like as long as anything else. Justice for red shirts. Yeah, yeah. Justice for red shirts. Just like some side characters. I kinda want to be someone. Yeah. Except unless you're unless you're like the, the counselor, in which case you get a V-neck. So I don't know, but like yes. no V-neck. That's see, that's borderline on the like uh dress code there. That's why I wouldn't be the counselor. No, no, exactly. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure not, got I'm not, that, but I'm not gonna I don't have the hair to pull it on. I have nothing. I'm just like, oh I'll just be just a little communicator. <laughs> okay. So the Star Trek aside or the star yeah. The little aside about Star Trek. Have you seen Below Decks? No, I haven't. Yeah, I've heard it's fu really funny. It is really funny. And if you are a Star Trek fan, it is so much like all of the little inside jokes and like the self-deprecating humor about how ridiculous <laughs> Star Trek is. It's called Below the Decks? It's like uh, Star Trek Below Decks. Is it a podcast or a, what is it? It's a, it's a cartoon. Oh, cartoon. Oh, my God. Amazing. Okay. I think I saw like, a preview for it or something. I forgot about it. But That's yeah. amazing. It was so fun. Because, yeah, I used to watch Star Trek with my parents, and so it's fun. I came back during, I moved back from Wisconsin during the pandemic, and we're like, cool, we're going to watch this new Star Trek again. And, oh, my gosh, this is hilarious, because it talks about, like, why do you all treat red shirts like this? <laughs> Always die. Yeah. <laughs> But also, like, this is a ship of how many thousands of people or how many hundreds of people, but we only focus on, like, seven of them. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like office drama, you know, but, like, on a ship that's the size of a city. Yeah. 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 And if I was anyone else on that entire ship, I'd be like, those people, man, who, like, really? They get that much control? They're just going to, like, make these weird decisions and all of us are going to die? Like, what? <laughs> Y'all got drunk in the holodeck and now we're all going to die. Like, what's going on? You know? <laughs> oh Those blow decks, they're like, burn the 1%. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, it was, <coughs> love Star Trek, but no, but yeah, I was like, how do we get on this? We get, uh, yeah, because it got me thinking about, um, especially teaching in university, just like again, this like hierarchy of literacy in the written word, and sort of the like lack of respect that we have in sort of the society around other ways of knowing and transmitting information. Um, and it was like, oh yeah, a lot of architecture was meant, like it communicated something. Even when we have these talks about like, oh, craftsmanship or oh, form versus function or oh, we like miss this old style, how, like housing. It's like, well, one that was often communicating to the materials, nature, but also sort of spiritual beliefs or even just like, you know, we can't have, we don't have an efficient way of building this. So you're gonna see how the structure looks, but you're also gonna, in that process, see sort of the human interaction in building it. Um, or like you think of like statues and public art or even, um, yeah, it's just like, there is a way when you have either oral, you have oral traditions of communicating a history or purpose of a building that we've sort of lost because we have a written word. Uh, we assume the written word is the supreme way of communicating things. It's like, well, no, there's dance, there's singing, there's a, like the patterns in your clothes, there's a, how you do your hair, how do we sort of level the knowledge transmission field and like add more literacy to those ways of communicating history. Um, and communicating our aspirations for the future. Uh, but that's for a later class. <laughs> no, that's really that's really fascinating. Um, I, I haven't watched this show. I've only watched the preview of it where it talks about, like, what would be around, like, a thousand years in the future or two thousand years in the future. Have you seen this show? I've only seen the preview of it, but it's like some of those history channel shows. I think it's called like what will remain or so I don't I'm like saying all this stuff on the stream without like knowing what I'm talking about. But in the preview <laughs> of the show, I haven't watched the show in the preview. It was like even just a thousand years, suddenly it was like, yeah, there is no written word that's remains unless it was chiseled on granite in like a building there, like the words that are chiseled at the base of, um, you know, like the Lincoln Memorial might partially remain or that, you know, just all this kind of like the, the um, obviously anything that's on a computer would be too corrupted to, to be received. Anything that essentially is etched in stone architecture, um, you know, pottery, all those things would be what last fabric remnants, you know, or things that have been fossilized, but not, yeah, not, not books. Yeah, there's. <laughs> Lou has this great. He has this collection called the Missing Girl, Missing Girl, the Hidden Girl. I'm like looking at it on my bookshelf, and the last one is sort of about this, like, yeah, a f couple thousand years in the future, humans come to sort of this alien planet and are trying to determine what they like observed it from afar. They're trying to figure out what this these hieroglyphs mean um from this like long dead civilization and it sort of was like yeah how well one even if you preserve something then that knowledge doesn't get preserved um how do you find a way to communicate something that is accessible even if you have no foundation for it um which is uh i won't spoil the ending but like is it important it's like a it's an interesting existential question <laughs> so yeah 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know. I like thinking about that, like thousands of years in the future. I mean, I also frequently, and I think Madhavo brought this up as well last a stream, um, what it must have been like to be in the Middle Ages and walking amongst these remnants of cathedrals that no one at that time knew how to make anymore, right? Like you're like, oh, this culture before anyone who's alive at that I know made these like really elaborate things that like none of us could recreate. And that's, that's weird. You're like living in the shell of this alien civilization, essentially. Right. Like you're, uh, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause like, I think of these, like, <clears throat> like thinking of like uh, Damascus or like all of these cities that have been like inhabited for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Like I remember when I, um, lived in Jordan, or I was living in Amman for a semester, and just like seeing ruins, and just like, oh, we can't recreate that, right, right. <laughs> and we like, have, yeah, you're just sort of there, there, um, like, yeah, and it's like, cool. What I mean, now we sort of have sort of museums and like archaeology as a practice, but for thousands of years you sort of just like lived with these things sometimes use them sometimes recycled them but also we're just like yeah there's that old building that our ancestors built that we don't really use anymore but also is there but we can't recreate yeah it means something but we don't really know or care or we try to pretend like we know we care You're right a lot of times people pretend like they know how they made these things but then we for whatever reason most likely organizationally, right? Like maybe just the fact that our governments don't work so differently and people work so differently that it would never be able to happen again Not in that way. It's really fascinating. Or maybe will again. I don't know. Yeah. I, I find like... it to be... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I find it to be humbling. Like growing... I grew up in the city of Amman, as you all know, and I think like I find the more I learn about the the stories behind these ruins like I'm, I'm very it's humbling and also there's a lot of grief because I feel like I wish I lived in the, <laughs> in the time when the Nabataeans were because you know they were also water engineers and the way they re understood water and built systems around it was so advanced that I think also it's like I sometimes want to go back to the future as a result of these ruins you know yeah yeah I teach my students that that was one of the first instances of AI is that water engineering because it's a Turing complete mm. water engineering system that they built there. And it, it is. It just, it just is. It's like the first computer that was ever made, right? But it was made with water. Wow. Um, mm. I love amazing. that. That's yeah. so cool. But that's yeah. how complex it was is it was performing, you know, algebraic <laughs> like functions, you know, which is amazing. Which, I mean, I think even that part of just, like, not being able to understand, like, taking for granted sort of how complex and intelligent our, like, ancestors were. Because even, so, like, um, my banner, polychrome futurist, a lot of my practice of realizing that our understanding of antiquity is because folks in the Middle Ages found marble statues and assumed, oh yeah, ancient Roman Greece, everything was white and clear. And it's like, no, 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 no. Everything was painted, everything was beautiful. There was lots of color and vibrancy. Um, we think of, we often, it's like, we imagine sort of a, this myth of primitivity 
to the past. And it's like, mm, one, primitivity is a weird concept that we needed for colonial hierarchy. But also, like, every women who were weaving were computer, they were coding. Uh, we, as you're talking about now, it's like we had turnkey water engineering. We had ways of knowing the question. The things we're trying to do now aren't actually that novel. We just have different materials that have been built upon the expertise that have been passed down through generations or lost, and we have to relearn again, but they are older questions. And yeah, like the past could be more fun, um, but also we can't go back to it. So what is, how do we bring something through into the future? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know Eamon was like, does everyone know that we're going to mine all of our lithium? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, people all know that. He's like, and that's just okay. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's okay. I think it's just like everyone does know that, like the electronic infrastructure that we're building is based on a material that will, like, we will mine all of it, right? And eventually, very quickly, maybe in our lifetime, right? Um, and yeah, what will happen? What will be the, the next space that we will store uh, chemical exchanges or? Um, information. Eamon's gone down a, a big uh, wormhole of co quantum computing. <laughs> Does, it takes a lot of energy, though, right, Eamon? The current quantum computers take a tremendous amount of energy. Yeah. Um, and they're like, because you have to cool, uh, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but you have to cool the system down to near absolute zero, like zero Kelvin which is very energy intensive to do. And then um, I'm not really sure why you have to do that, but you do. And it, they're not really practical for anything for research right now, but they do exist. And um, they're pretty crazy looking. They're kind of, they kind of look like steampunk octopus. Guys. <laughs> steampunk octopus guys. I love, yeah. I love that. <laughs> you find a photo, Eamon, and share it. Cause that's, I, I need to see a steampunk yeah, octopus guy. Um, but yeah, they aren't they aren't useful yet because they can't produce a um, predictable result yet. But I mean, predictable for quantum computing, but not like for predictable for for storage or operations. But they are really fascinating, but so in energy intense intensive. So it's like the opposite of us being like, oh, we're gonna run out of lithium. It's like no, let's just let's like every part type of fuel, you know. Why? Like, I don't know. Everyone, so because when I lived in Chicago, I worked as a transportation, well, more transportation modeler and planner, but people always be like, self-driving cars, electric cars, that's going to fix everything. And like, a car is not going to save us. A car has never saved us. Um, and if we're get, if it relies on us finding a new limited resource, it's not going to save us. Yeah, well, not to mention that we still use fossil fuels to charge all those batteries, right? Like it's you know just it's like a different, yeah. <laughs> a different use of a fossil fuel, right? Yeah, and like the only way we're able to even afford lithium, a rare earth mineral, is because we don't pay the people who are mining. And so, um, like mm, this isn't the way, really the way forward, but it is <laughs> the path we're on question mark I, yeah um yeah which again gets me thinking about even just like ancient city planning um 
because yeah, I remember I remember when I lived in Anan because I was like, I'm going to work for the State Department, and then I realized I don't actually know why, as an American, I'm trying to influence how another country functions because I feel like. Amman has been around for a long time. I think they've figured out a different logic for how a city should work and how people should interact with each other. I think they do a better job of taking care of their elderly than we do in America. Why am I telling them what to do? Um, and it's just like, what is... Yeah, what is a different logic for cities, our not even cities in the future, but our communities in the future, and it's not building new ones. Um, it's like, how do we use the ruins of what we have now and adjust and adapt to a different sort of logic of how we relate to each other? Mm. Back to the trees and slowing down and connecting. Um, yeah. How do we reorient cities for connection in that way? And, and for care. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll, it's hard. As poor as it is, it's, you will never see um, uh, like a houseless person in the streets or an elderly person. That's like it's very very rare, um, and they don't really have uh, elder center like elder care centers. But that's very much part of uh, the culture, and it's a part of mo I think the, the majority of um, of I hate to use that term, the global south, but I. Yeah, the majority of um, of the world, I would say, or the global majority, is um, yeah. uh, has figured out in some ways like care networks. Well, I mean, for survival, history, that's how. Like the idea of a single family home is in the nuclear family is a like modern aberration. Like there yeah. wasn't care facilities. When you got old, you lived with your family or your family lived down the street or down, not even down the street, like lived next to you. And so you continue to care for each other. Um, even the idea of retirement, it's like you retired because your job changed because your body changed, but you were still part of community. Um, it's only, again, a mo sort of modern mythology that like, oh yeah, when you're old, or when your parents get older, you put them in a new a home. Or when you, as an, a child, become an adult, you move out and live by yourself. Um, that didn't, yeah, it was like that's, we haven't figured, we've tried to create this way of hyper-individualism, even at the family level. We've designed cities around that, but it doesn't work, and people don't want it. As I like, keep, I keep getting these TikToks from like boomers being like, my kids don't talk to me. I miss my kids. It's like, well, it is unaffordable for them to live, but you've also pushed them out of, like we created a structure that doesn't support you as a family. We've created communities that don't support families. Suburbs aren't for families. Um, as I'll always argue, they are good for parenting. They're not good for being a kid. Um, yeah. Being a grandparent or being elderly. Totally. Um, and yeah, I just I, I remember coming back from Jordan and like, oh, I need to plan financially to like be able to afford a place where my parents, if they need to, could also live with me and like spend time between me and my siblings. And that is like a financial consideration I have to have um, or I should have. But yeah, my son came in my room to, like very late at night. Like I'm like almost asleep. He's like, "Hello." I was like, "Hello, child." And he's like, "I 
have anxiety. I'm like, same, bro, what's going on? And he's like, well, I, some people are saying like, you shouldn't live at home. Or if you live at your home, your parents are mad at you. They think you're bad kid and I was like such a short moment in time that that idea got formalized you know very short amount of time like it, it go a little bit back like my father grew up with his grandparents in his house and then he lived at home for a while and then he lived at home while he was working in his dad's mechanic shop and then he was living in the mechanic shop like or the shed above the mechanic shop so that he could help customers and right I was like this is this has been only in my generation and even my generation, my sister lived with my parents while she was married. And that, you know, I just kind of described to him everything on my side of the family and how no one on our side of the family had done this thing. He's saying is the normal thing. Then, then I said, you know, my son's Costa Rican. Then I'm like, now let me tell you about your Costa Rican family. And I'll describe every single person in their family. None of them have ever done it. Like whose family are you talking about? You know? You're yeah. not talking about our family, You're not talking about the natives or the Jews or, or the Costa Ricans. Like none of them have lived this way. Who is telling you these things, you know, who are these bad influencing uh, kids here? You know, don't jump. If they would jump off a bridge, would you leave the house? I don't know. You know, I'm just like, this is a very weird, like thing that he's hearing from some kind of culture. And I said, was it a specific yeah. friend? He's like, no, no, no. It's just like, the representation in media essentially is like mm -hmm. in these shows they're always like my good for nothing kid that stays home right and they say this over and over and you know um that's weird and it's not been true in my lifetime or my parents lifetime or their parents lifetime so who who is these people <laughs> <clears throat> it's a lot of pressure my oldest is going off to college and she is just like I have to live on campus. I have to go off and be on my own. I have to. I'm like, well, I mean, you can, but like, you don't have to. You can save money, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I was the one who wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to always be on my own and not yeah, live at same. home. You know, because I have a wilder personality, but the way that my son's personality is, is also very normal too. So it's kind of like, yeah, what this, this idea that there's good kids and they leave and right. back and they stay. That's wild. <laughs> and I was like, the way everything is costing, stay at home. <laughs> I, cause I, I moved back to Wisconsin for two years after I graduated from my master's program, I was like working. I mean, COVID also influenced like, I don't need to move. I'm just going to stay my, stay in my parents' house. Um, but also just being like, oh, this is also so much easier to maintain a household when you have more adults around. Um, <laughs> and like, oh yeah, the way you all, my parents lived, it's like, I guess not my dad's side, my mom's side, they're, products of the great migration so they all moved up as the family together and either like while someone was getting themselves set up they would live in someone's basement and then they would move to a house like around the corner and so like even if you didn't live together you're basically together in homes and you could support each other and that and again back to trees you live around each other so you can help each other and spend time with each other and like that's how we're supposed that's how we're supposed to be um, we just haven't figured out like how to do that in sort of highly mobile society anymore. Like yeah. what is, yeah, that I can't figure out. Cause I'm also like, yeah, we should live together. I don't want roommates again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah. totally, yeah. totally. And it was Many kind of houses on a commune, guys. Tiny I know Martha's is Martha, Martha and my older <laughs> sister. They say they're always like, come and just move on my commune. But um, yeah, it was exciting for a minute. I mean, I think when I was working at a startup during COVID, that was the number one thing I heard from people while we were remote is that, oh, I moved back to live with my parents, not necessarily in their same house, but I'm now in the same neighborhood as my parents, or I'm in the same city as my parents. So many people said that, like, I'm so happy. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do this for 40 more years. Now I'm now I'm back with my family. And that was the most common thing that people did was say, oh, yeah, while we're remote, I'm going to move. You know, maybe I'll have to move back when we go back in person. But for this, you know, whatever time, I'm going to take this opportunity and live near my ailing parents or my sister who just had a baby or, you know, that was just mm -hmm. what everybody said. And I thought, that's so lovely. What if that just became an option? I mean, obviously, we're seeing a lot of blowback from a lot of companies that are like, JK, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're never allowed to do that again. <laughs> Which is too bad, I think, because I think we were all very successful working from home. But um, uh, Yeah, and I don't know that that'll last, because I think people are kind of like, uh, we did it, and it worked. So yeah. get it together. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or I'll go somewhere else that did get it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and I I understand that there were some people that just don't like working that way. So there, I think there's a lot of, I don't know. Having worked in a startup, people were really good at having hybrid options, like being like, I like but that. I think that's how tech is. Tech is like, all right, and you are in this time zone, and you're in that time zone, you're in that time zone. Great. This is how we like be very organized, and we figure this out. You know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but. Also, are you beating? Who? I am. I love that. <laughs> That's why I keep being down here. I'm doing no, I was like, I've been noticing, and I was like, oh, what is she? Ooh. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Martha makes these really good patterns um, for them. Sometimes. No, no. Sometimes I just, it depends. Lately, I can either design a pattern or I can pick a color palette, but I can't do both. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just get get uh, like Midjourney to pick your your palette color. You know, actually, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Actually, I want Midjourney to design a pair of earrings for me, and then Ooh, I'm going to make. Them. Okay, let's let's try. We haven't done a prompt today, so like let's uh, let's bring it on there. Let's see here. Present Midjourney prompt. All right. I'm not using Let's see here. All right, Martha, what is your prompt? What should we do? Like a pair of beaded earrings with colors like the sunset? I think of some evocative words. In L.A., because, you know... <laughs> Nor is in Los Angeles. I like that sunset in LA. I like it. All right. Oops. I value. Did I not work that? All right. All right. Let's see what it says. <laughs> we always use Midjourney to do something ridiculous on this stream. So, and I'm, I'm really interested to see what it thinks like beaded things are. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, whenever we give it like indigenous or native prompts, it always is like the weirdest stuff where you're like, what is that? Um, okay. Not, it's, I think it's almost done. You're looking okay. Oh, okay. Well, hey. That doesn't look like LA, but I like. 
the cactus is not making me feel LA, but the lower left one feels like LA. Colors. Yeah. 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 I like that one. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Huh. I'm not crazy about this color palettes. I'm not going to. I'm lie. not crazy about it. But that could have been just like it. I don't know. We could try something. What What is another type of? I like how this earring is like the one thing isn't attached on the other one. It's just like oh, just like floating. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um. All right. Do we have a better one, Martha? Hmm. Um. Should we just say like native beaded, or is that make it get too weird? Indigenous. What words does it not like? <laughs> I mean, really, anything indigenous or native comes real weird. But okay, we say a pair of indigenous beaded earrings. How about let's do a pink palette? I've been trying to work on a pink palette. Ooh. I've been trying to get more pink into my wardrobe. Pink is so well, I got great. that like hot pink Telfar, so I need So when I was in Stockholm, I bought this. Um, like pink H and M, oh, like pull. oh, love it. I yeah. love it. You definitely need the pink Telfar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that one's more bubble gum, you know, yeah. than 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 fuchsia. But yeah, Italia. for sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, I gotta go um, to campus, but love you. See you later. Have fun. Thanks for joining him. Good to share virtual space. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Did you not do your prompt on this one? Did I not do my what? Oh, did I not do imagine? It says waiting yeah. to start. Oh. <laughs> pink. I, I mean that that Valentino show where every single thing was pink. I was I was so into it, and they just played cocktoo twins like the entire time and had like every single dress was pink i was so into it i watched that i made i even made Eamon watch that fashion show and he's like he was upset about it for like the first five minutes and then he's like it's just still pink and i'm like just wait for it he's like it's still pink i'm like just wait for it he's like it's still pink and then after like 45 minutes he's like this is the best thing ever it's just pink i'm like yeah it's pink forever i love it <laughs> that one was probably my favorite fashion show for a while just because kind of something about like doing something so you're like committing to one color you're like it's just this one color i like that i was like i have to watch this it's very uniformish you know i kind of like that I'd take that i mean yeah all right i'm gonna wait i'm gonna take it off the the we'll see it how long it takes i don't know why it's not taking very long i did long. this other one i did kind of a different one. Ooh, Ooh i really like that yeah that's awesome need a Oh, one, I need to get my nose re-pierced. I was, like, looking at my picture. I'm like, oh, that's right. I had my nose pierced, and I had surgery and had to take it out and have it put it back. But I also want my ears pierced because I'm just, like, earrings are so cool. They are so cool. I did the same thing. I had to take my nose ring out for, like, an MRI or whatever, and then just yeah. closed up. I haven't done it again. I'm like, I don't even know if I'm – I'm just – I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I want to do it because I just want – like a gold hoop um but yeah all right i think it i think it's ready here or almost ready there you go okay this is pink i don't know if i'm wild about those pink 
palette either. No, I kind of like the one in the right corner. The top right corner? The bottom. The bottom, oh, the bottom. Like the bottom right. Kind of flower right. looking one, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. top and left I, is giving me like vagina vibes somehow. I don't know. Like I mean, not that that's way, a bad though. thing, but I just I don't no, like but like it. not in a good not way, me. actually. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's a great way, but sometimes sure, but I don't know. Yeah. 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 I like the lower right because it has also those like iridescent beads that I love that are like the mirrored kind at the top. Oh, yeah. So I do like that. And then the black and blue and yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like these aren't bad. These aren't bad. Like these aren't bad. They're just small, you know, big long frame. Yeah, they also are really bad at beading. Do you see how untight those beads are? <laughs> Come on, and they're not even uniform size. Like, who are these people? <laughs> Midjourney can't bead. Can't bead. <laughs> Shameful. <laughs> Cheap beads. Look at that. Oh. Um. Yeah, well, you know, you just gotta, you gotta work with what you have, I guess. <laughs> Isn't fingers for me, Journey? They're One of these people. times, I'll make them. I'll pick like the ugliest pair that Mid Journey can possibly oh, make. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make oh, them. yeah. Oh, the, the other one that I thought wasn't gonna come through just came through. This is the one I thought. This one, I, it's funny how it's like on a little ceramic cup with like a cactus. Oh, that's so cute. Of that cactus. What? Oh, yeah. These ones are really weird. They are really weird. I feel like the shapes are just like wonky. Yeah. yeah. No. The one on the top left just makes me like I don't know why it gives me like cephalopod vibes. Ooh. Me like Speaking a. Oh, I get. Speaking of cephalopods, Eamon before he left gave me um, the photo of the oh, quantum, quantum computer. computer. Whoa. Oh, yeah. He wasn't wrong. It does look like a cephalopod. Or what did he say? An octopus, a steampunk octopus sky? Yeah. 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 Steampunk octopus sky it is, right? It's what I would have meant. giving me, like, some kind of Matrix vibes. Yeah. I was like, either Matrix vibes or, like, I'm exploring the bottom of the ocean and this thing mm -hmm. like, appears and sucks me, into, sucks me into the underwater Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing quantum computers amazing amazing yeah so what labs have this quantum computer um this one's the ibm one which is probably the most famous quantum computing lab at least for for me like i've the only quantum computing like lab folks that i've met have been from ibm that do like mm, try to do a lot of applications but they do exist in a lot of universities so i would say like universities have them ibm has them um, and then probably other companies have them too. Sometimes they might be public about it. Sometimes not right. Like as all research is yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah. I was wondering if they're at some of the like national labs, like Sandia or Los Alamos. Um, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't, right? Like they yeah, have to yeah. have to be doing all that just for security mm -hmm. reasons and everything, yeah. right? Like they have to understand it because people are always like the future of cybersecurity is quantum. And I'm like, I mean, look, if we're depending our security on quantum right now, like it's so unpredictable, I would definitely just like wait, <laughs> wait before you put anything that needs to be securing on these things. But, you know, that's just me. But yes, I'm sure that every government organization that needs to or, or agency that needs to work on computing has something that they're doing on it because they have to know about it. 
yeah. could cause any kind of you know problems, right? Even if even if the chemicals could cause problems, they would need to research it, right? Yeah. And I mean, if it is so energy intensive, you're gonna hook up with Gawain now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very well. Quantum computing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, no, I just. I remember being at MIT and actively trying to avoid letting people know that I knew anything about computers. Like, do not, don't ask me to help with, actually, I feel a little bad because my friend were taking a quant class and I was like, if you don't, this used to be my job, don't ask me about it. <laughs> I know, but quants just use spreadsheets anyways. They're just like, yeah, yeah. it was a whole lot of like R, R coding, but like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah. I knew how to do this. If you Google me, you can see if you, I have, I think one video on um, YouTube of like a masterclass I taught or masterclass. I just talked about some code I wrote. Really? Um, on R? Yeah. That's so cool. What did you do? Uh, so we had a, when I was working for um, the regional planning agency in Chicago, CMAP, we were working on a regional freight model. Um, because like most of the most of the United States freight traffic goes through Chicago, um, and so, but as we are in the United States, we don't like to invest in our infrastructure, and so we're trying to figure out how to prioritize um, infrastructure. And so we were working with some consultants to design this um, freight model that sort of broke up the region and the country and the world into different sort of um, zones and mesozones. And I was, I was mostly creating R to like either simulate um, NAICS code, um, commodities. So I was like, what did, I, what did I do? I haven't used it in a while. Uh, simulating commodities, but also sort of testing sort of uh, quality control. So testing sort of how the model's distributing um, commodities and like pairing um, simulated firms versus like the data that we did have. Yeah. And so I was just going through some of my code and it's like, yeah, I studied policy and international studies. I had to learn this on the job and you can do it too. That's awesome. Um, I really yeah. like R. I mean, I think a lot of, I don't know, like Eamon is super into Python. So he's always just like, whatever, you don't need R, but I'm like, but you can do Python in R. You can do everything in R. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, neural networks in R, you know, like what? <laughs> I like the Python. I like made a Python script to interact with GIS to pull in some data and then have it in my R. I was like, look at me. I'm a and then I, I know. Like, and then now you can like share your little notebooks with people. I, I, I like R. I like, but you know, it is, it does seem like it's more of a, any, any, any role that you have that might touch government data, it seems like the best thing to use, I think, still. So, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of people still use it. Yeah. I haven't done it since college, but it was fun in college. <laughs> I wish we did um, it was MATLAB, and then I had to learn SAS. Um, and I was like, this data is too big. I'm not breaking everything up into like four different <laughs> CSV files. No, we're just using R. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Wow, I haven't talked about. <laughs> well, you're with a bunch of nerds right now, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like that's different lifetime, different me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's really cool to to have come from that background and then be talking to people who are looking at fabric and costuming and architecture and under just having that that type of data perspective. It's it's interesting. It's cool. I I feel like we as people who've interacted with un, um, unfiltered data know how much we don't know and we look at things differently because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, yeah, really, I think for me, it made, me, made it very clear how also just like storytelling, like everything is a story. I'm like, yeah, we have all this data, but you can't comprehend and interpret all of it. So I'm going to tell you a story of what it means. And even if I give you data and tell you what it means, if you have another story that you want to believe about what you want to do, no amount of data is going to change that. Um, yeah. I think that was that was the thing I learned in in like government was just like, oh, I can give you all the data in the world, I can paint you a clear picture, but if there's a story about what you want for the future and how you're imagining the future, you can exert your political will to make that that data more compelling. Yeah. Um, which was like, oh, I need politicians and policymakers to be a little more imaginative about what the future could be. Um, yeah. Because again, I was like, y'all, stop asking me about self-driving cars. We're not, we cannot maintain our existing road infrastructure. You want me to add computers to all of it? You want, you want your city government to maintain all of these sensors? With what money that you don't want to pay? I know. <laughs> Could we give kids free lunch at school, all of them first? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, we could get free lunch. We could get free public transportation. Like, why do why, why do you need a self-driving car? Yeah, why aren't we just making like really cool subway train, you know, electric, solar powered, like whatever, so that no one ever has to drive again? Because who wants to drive? Not me, nor do I really want to be on the road with anyone else driving. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's shocking how old like the, the tube is in the UK and the subway system is in New York. I mean, they're so old and they're obviously there's been tons of repair and tons of, re, you know, maintenance on them and everything, but that they're still humming. They are, and they don't, they're not going to, they don't need to be totally reimagined either. So I think we can just improve on that. They're like, I mean, not fully reimagined, but they kind of do. I have my complaints about RS, spoken wheel models in <laughs> contemporary cities. It's like, no, why is, why are we centralizing everything? That's not how people yeah. function. Yeah, why totally. From, from Brooklyn to Queens and like, all, why can't I just get everywhere? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have yeah, definitely yeah. go into Manhattan just to go to Queens, even though you could walk there in 20 minutes. So it's like, you know, buses, buses in New York are great. <laughs> Everyone would hate me for saying that, but like, no, they are. <laughs> buses are the unsung hero of our transportation. Totally. Totally. That's what we should have. We need to be having like trains and buses and just no cars on the road, just buses. This is my uh, old yes. amazing. Yes. I love it. I if anyone from CTA is watching, I bought this. It was decommissioned. I did not steal it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. 
Oh, man. I know when I lived in Costa Rica, they had buses. I mean, barely functioning bus. They were, like, so old. They were from, you know, the 70s and 80s. But they went anywhere. And if you didn't really know where you were going, you're like, I know my friend's house is that way. You would just get on a bus that's going that way and then tell the person, okay, let me off in this, like, ditch. And they're like, okay. And then you just, like, walk, like, through the, you know, the, sort of the jungle and then get to their house that way. And it was like it worked. And it was so inexpensive. You're just like, I'll take this one there, then that one there. Then that one back there. And then I kind of get close to my friend's house. And it was like, I don't really know any of the routes. It didn't matter. If one was going the direction you were walking, it was like, great. Yeah. I'm like, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't need, uh, I don't know. Like, we don't have a need to have everything super formalized. Actually, that was my frustration with Lyft and Uber when I first moved back. Because I'm like, oh, you're just trying to recreate all the, like, informal transit systems in every other country. And yeah. It, which is like i guess not innovative innovative when it comes to like making money um but i'm also yeah. like i do wonder if i wonder if their business model is going to be like trains and buses where they were private but like it's not very viable in affordable sense so you're going to have to sell that to the government um like i think a lot of cities are just going because it's now an essential part of the transit system um, yeah, which I do imagine, yeah, I imagine a future where, like, a fleet of cars is just part of your CTA pass, and you, like, pay that way, or your, whatever, or I guess you won't even have a physical pass anymore, you just, like, swipe, or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, in New York, like, if your company gave you those MTA benefits, which not all companies do, but, like, I worked for a FCC, like, regulated company, and so we had those those, <laughs> those cards. But it would also work with not an Uber, but a, its own app mm. where a car would come, and the car had to be able to hold more than eight people in it. And so it was, like, those big, like, escalators, and they would come, like, a really big one, and I could ride in it. And it could go certain places and it would be on my card, which was very weird. And I was like, but they, again, it was only for people who had a company that gave you that Money. thing yeah. that they got a tax break on and everything, right? Like they got, you know, that was like free or, or a break or in some way for them. But like, yeah, it has to all be through our work, health insurance, yeah. our work, free rides, through our work, you know? <laughs> yeah. A mess. We could be different. It could be so different. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you dreaming with us about all the different ways that we could be. And I'm so excited about hearing continuously about all the amazing things you're doing with your students. Come back again and tell us how your regalia class worked, because that would be so cool. If it, hey, if it happens, I will, def, I will, if it happens, I will be inviting you. So <laughs> yes, we can, we can all, the whole climate lounge can come and do, do an online vibe with them. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Also, thanks for having me on. Uh, anytime I get to chat with you, I'm like, yes, of course. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. We're so happy to have you. All right, I think we'll end the broadcast, but we'll still be on. And we can just chat for a second. But bye, everyone. <laughs> thanks for joining Climate bye. Lounge, a vibe show for your day with Lafayette Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Oh,